Hello, this is the Landscape Ontario podcast. My name is Scott Barber. Today, we have Jonas Spring joining the show. Uh, Jonas operates Ecoman, which is a successful landscape design and construction business that works to enhance and increase green spaces through proactive and thoughtful ecological design. We're going to talk about what that means. Uh, Jonas uh, draws on over 15 years of experience helping people and projects get the most from their green spaces. Currently, he's the president of Landscape Ontario's Toronto chapter, and he's also a member of Design Climate Action. That is a group of designers who commit to educate, advocate, and design for a socially just uh, transition to a carbon-neutral economy. Jonas also holds a BSc in agroecology from the University of British Columbia. Uh, Today, he's here to talk about what he does and why he does it. Uh, And also, uh, an awesome event he has coming up on February 19th called Reference. Uh, It's for really anybody with an interest in uh, horticulture and design. Uh, And and it looks at uh, ecological references for design. We're going to talk about all of those things coming up in just a moment. So Jonas, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and... uh, and your business and uh, your life in horticulture. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the, the opportunity. I started out after high school 20 something years ago and I studied landscape design at Ryerson. And I had, after that, I studied agroecology at the University of British Columbia. So that is kind of both of those things were really changed my life but I met my mentor at landscape designer Ryerson Sam Benvy who's still there by the way fantastic program and I took all I got really excited about plants prior to that I didn't know anything about plants um uh, my parents weren't that into it or anything like that so for me I didn't know a rose from a tulip when I started and I really got into plants with Sam Benvy took his plant courses and at plant ID courses went to studied at UBC and there I they really what they did there is they said well let's take these ecological principles and apply them on on an agricultural landscape which was really cool and I did basically came back to Toronto which is where I grew up and tried to do that take those ecological principles and try to reimagine them on an urban landscape so basically the same idea but how does it affect you know a garden or a street or a building and so those kinds of ideas have been percolating for 20 years. And Sam Benvy 20 years ago was growing all these plants uh, at the base of the building at Ryerson, the architecture building. He had 400 species growing from seed. And he told me that it was the base of a cliff and I had no idea what he was talking about. I, you know, it made no sense to me. Uh, and I said, well, you know, come back with something practical that I can actually use in my day-to-day work as a landscaper. And then we'll talk, you know, the young guy giving him a little bit of, throw you know talk back so anyways uh it took me 20 years to figure it out but the whole idea of the ecological reference comes from uh that that interaction that first interaction with him and how he was talking about how different plantings have this ecological reference this idea that there's uh uh for every landscape that we work on there's a there's some kind of analogy or some kind of ecosystem that's around that has similar dynamics and so that was really the, the idea for doing the reference uh, symposium the first year was to sort of explore that idea by bringing in ecologists to talk about uh, ec- ecosystems that were similar 
in their dynamic to something that we would see in the city. That was really the, the basis for it. So we organized that three years ago. We have, this will be our third year doing it. And uh, it's really been an amazing experience for me. I'm taking it like I'm a student, right? I'm just trying to invite all these experts to talk about these plants that most of us don't don't know about, or we know them, but we didn't know that they had those um, abilities. I can give you some examples, but that's kind of what, that's a little bit about myself anyways. <laughs> that's great. I appreciate that, Jonas. Um, so reference, um, it's coming up in uh, a little bit later this month. Um, and you, you sort of mentioned, uh, you know, why you, why you wanted to, uh, to start it. Can you tell us about what's going on at the event this year? Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to skate, we're scaled it back to, it used to be a full day and it was obviously in person. So we're scaling it back. We're, what we're going to do is do an online uh, version of it. And we're going to have two sessions and they're very different. The first session is, I think, appropriate for the pandemic in the sense that I, I always wondered about indoor plants. I never really had an interest in it. I was always, you know, doing stuff outside and, and my family, my wife takes care of the indoor plants. And I always thought of them as something that, you know, tropicals and I didn't really know anything about it. I wasn't too interested in it. But in the back of my mind, I did wonder, was there an ecological reference for inside? You know, is there an ecosystem that's basically room temperature and dry year round and can take different light regimes depending on where you are in the house or in the building or on the green wall, right? Anywhere inside a building. And the other thing is, is it's a pandemic. So everybody's inside, stuck inside. So I thought it would be really interesting to explore uh, ecosystems around the globe that have that um, temperature regime and moisture regime and humidity, right? So for us, that's gonna be the first session. We're gonna be talking about, um, uh, there's a Mediterranean climate that's, we're gonna, that's, that appears in South Africa, Australia, Chile, California, and uh, of course the Mediterranean. So, you know, in, in Europe, right? So all of those ones, we're trying to comb through them now to look at plants that might uh, be of interest for any application, but at the, the, the low end, you know, just for the house, right, as a house plant, but thinking about also as we have different, uh, you know, more extremes in climate, there's going to be more people spending more time inside. So what plants would you want to have, uh, you know, on a green wall that was inside or what, what plants would you want to have you know, for a large project, you know, like, you know, shopping center or a school or a large, you know, stadium or something like that, where you want that filtration, you want those plants producing oxygen and kind of like showing some functionality, you know, over and above the beauty, of course. So that's the first session. And second session is revisiting um, the references that identified one of the key things that it identified is some of these plants are very very easily readily available i'll give you an example like um when we talked about reference the first time around it was buildings or cliffs was one of the big ones so we took the reference of uh we took an inventory of cliff plants on the escarpment like just around on in southern ontario around toronto and we took that inventory and we got all these plants and then we 
uh, rinsed it through the lens of what's commercially available. And so that, that list, that Venn diagram, or, you know, the, where those two lists meet, that's where the plants that we could actually use to test our hypothesis that, you know, if you're growing plants on a balcony, or if you're on a condo, or if you're on a rooftop, or even just in a planter in the sun on the porch, those dynamics are very cliff-like in the sense of the exposure, the heat dynamics, the wind, the rain. Um, and so we wanted to try and use those plants to see if we could see if there was plants that could do very well in those situations. So cedar, uh, three occidentalis, just a straight Eastern white cedar that everybody knows actually grows on the escarpment for like 900 years. So some of the oldest growth cedars that still exist because everything else was cut down and logging uh, actually exist on the uh, on the escarpment cliffs. And so we thought, well, these are going to last longer than the condos. This is a great plant to try. Uh, and so we've been doing uh, trials with it. Anyways, one of the things that we found is that there's a lot of times you cannot get the stuff. So in, in, in this case, in, cedar, in the case of cedar, you can get lots of it to do this stuff. But some of the stuff is, you know, a little bit more off the beaten path and more difficult to find. And so I teamed up with um, Ontario Plant Restoration Alliance and Stefan Weber, and they are doing um, source identified seed. They're collecting seed in these areas and they're growing that seed in a seed orchard. So basically, instead of having to go back to the bush to get your seed, you grow a garden of it and then you can collect your seed and have that sort of supply in perpetuity. So it's kind of a, a very uh, long-term way of preserving seed without having to degrade the remnant ecosystems that are around us in around Toronto. So this idea of the seed orchard has really taken off in several counties around Ontario. And, and now we're looking at doing it in Toronto to have a Toronto seed strategy where we identify plants that we need, you know, going forward and we look for those genetics in local populations and then we collect seed and then plant them in what would be a seed orchard so you're farming the seed and then you're growing them with our nursery so i've i'm actually where where i am calling you from right now as it happens is from a wholesale nursery and i don't know if they want me to use their name or not but i'm taking these seeds that we got from last year's uh, seed orchards, and I'm bringing them to them as a custom grow, like as a contract grow. So they're going to grow a half a dozen species. We know where those where those came from. So they're kind of it's kind of like wine or cheese, you know, like it's got its own provenance, right? So uh, I'm going to be growing these seeds for uh, green roof projects we do, for green wall projects we do. Um, so, anyways, back to the to the uh, reference thing, we're, we're actually going to be doing an update on the seed strategy. So we're going to be inviting some of the people that are working on the idea uh, who, to talk a bit more about how things are looking from their side. So we have people from the city who are helping. Uh, Toronto Region Conservation, I've invited um, uh, Paul Morris. Um, I've, we've got some private to contractors that are interested in this, like myself and other people from Landscape Ontario, who do uh, work with a lot of native plants in their in their in their designs. So we have some landscape architects, and we have um, some um, indigenous folks coming. And really, it's just about a kind of creating a bit of a working group to try to think about this idea, 
of having more seeds uh, grown and then more plants available to use the uh, uh, for projects like that, you know? Awesome. Sounds great. Um, so how do you how do you incorporate some of these ideas, some of these things that you're so passionate about into what you do with your business with Ecoman? Right. So there's uh, a number of ways that it does. It's basically, I use it for sales. I use it for plant lists. I use it for, um, um, those are the two biggest ones. And then I use it for design. So the main thing is if you wanted to like a practical application of it, you're like, okay, I have no idea what plants to choose because I don't know any plants, right? Let's say, you know, you just graduated, you know, the few plants that in school and that's it, right? So if you look at um, the ecological reference from that point of view, you could say, well, I'm going to go and compare my site to these other sites that already have plant lists. So we go to the ecological land classification system. We see that there's this other um, eco, eco site that is similar and there's a plant list already there. So we can say, okay, well, maybe some of these would be a good place to start um, or maybe give us ideas for other plants that go with those plants, right? So it's in, in that sense, I use it to uh, define the space, to talk to the client about why we picked the species that we picked. I use it to generate the plant list and to justify the plant list uh, in terms of its functionality of like how well I think it'll do. And I use it to sell because um, let's say you have a client who has a backyard and nothing grows there. Like I get the call all the time, a typical call for me in Toronto downtown. Oh, I have a big tree and nothing grows underneath. Or, oh, I have uh, shade from the next door neighbors and I have no grass and it doesn't grow. So for me, I'm always dealing with like, it's a problem. Usually people come with me, I, nothing grows. So I look at it and I say, oh, this is a very similar to an, a woodland understory, which is the most common one for, for a gardener. From a gardener point of view, the ecological reference that everybody knows is the under, woodland understory is the most common one. Uh, the second most common one would be like a meadow or a grassland, you know, like if you have an open space, that would be the, the most common uh, reference. But there's a whole bunch of others that are really fun too. You know, grottos, like if you're, if you've got buildings on all sides, uh, you've got lots of, you know, things that you can do, uh, you know, as far as if you think of the buildings themselves as like big giant boulders, then you've got lots of plants that'll grow at the base of, of cliffs called the talus slope or at the base of a boulder. And so that really informs our design. And then we come and talk to the client and say, hey, do you know you live in a woodland understory? Or, or hey, do you know your house is a cliff? And like, it's kind of like, they kind of get it right away. And then you don't have to worry so much about, you know, arguing about every single plant. Why did you pick it? It's more, they get the idea that they live in this, um, in this setting. And so you've created a bit of a picture for them. So we use it for sales. And uh, what what's your experience been with the with the public? Um, you know, are most or or many of the um, you know clients or potential clients reaching out to you, um, reaching out because of because of that expertise, because of that um, you know focus for your business, or or what have you found um, in terms of reception to these ideas in the public? So 
you know, I think a lot of it um, is in, it's really important if you go for a good idea to be a good idea, it needs to have a practical application to make sense, you know? And if it's too sort of out there, which a lot of this, my ideas are really kind of out there is like, if people can't make sense of it, then it's really just an idea that sits on the shelf and doesn't do anything. And that has been something that I've really thought about a lot. Like, how does this make sense for uh, Joe homeowner and, um, you know, Joe designer and Joe grower and just all the Joes out there. And so I think that one thing where it does really uh, resonate is that when you paint a picture like that, like a buildings are cliffs, uh, you know, buildings are, are skin are bones with no skin, right? You paint a picture like that to somebody, they don't need to have any advanced horticultural background to get, hey, you know what? They are physically look alike. Like if you show a picture of a cliff and you show a picture of a condo, you know, it does kind of seem like the same thing. So it's not like I need somebody to have a degree uh, in some, or a master's or PhD or something to figure it out. It's like on a visceral level, on a very sort of, um, just on a very visual level, there's a lot of similarities. So I feel like it is accessible even to kids. Um, I know I, you know, talk about it with my daughter and I don't think it's necessarily super technical. It's just what it is, is, is that you've, you're taking adjacent knowledge. Like when you're in horticulture, you're, you go to your grower, you buy your plants, you go back, you put them in the ground and you rarely ever have a chance to talk to them about, you know, how they think about the world and what they're growing. And, and so a lot of times with the hustle bustle of the season, you don't really get you know, the time to really see how the other components of the horticulture ecosystem actually work, you know? And so in this case, the adjacent piece of knowledge that's really interesting for me is ecology. In other words, what does an ecologist know about a cliff that I would like to know about a condo? And so that, that the, the, the whole idea of reference is to bring in adjacent knowledge to have the time to sit down and just listen to what other people have to say about an adjacent topic that has, and then we have to figure, do the hard work of figuring out how it applies. But for me, that is the fun part, right? So yeah, it's it's inaccessible in the sense that most of us don't go and read ecology journals and you know you know read books by ecologists. And, you know that's too esoteric. It's too far out there. But if you bring them all together and you say, hey how would this, we apply this to a design, then it starts to make sense. So I feel, uh, I can give you more examples, but we've done a bunch of this type of stuff, so. No, I'd love some, I'd love some examples. You've mentioned a few, um, you know, the major references, the, the you know, the woodland understory, uh, meadow. Yeah. Um, yeah, what other, what other examples um, can you provide? So, okay, so let's say, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, and if I had the camera on, actually you're on camera so I can show you. Um, so the other reason I'm here today uh, at the nursery is to show, uh, to show some Aquastorm, Block Aquastorm, uh, they're called castellated pavers. Now, I don't know if you know, like there's permeable pavers and then there's these little lattice pavers that have holes in them, like large, gaps in them that are meant to be filled with gravel or plants or plastic grass you know you know what i'm talking about i do yeah, yeah. so, so one of the uh, uh other um references that we are really excited about is alvars 
Um, alvars are ecosystems of natural pavement. So if you go to the cottage and you're driving along and you see large exposed rock, it could be granite or it could be limestone. Uh, and you see plants growing in the crevices. So those ecosystems are generally referred to as alvars. There's the Cardan alvar and they're globally rare, but in Ontario, there are very, there's lots of them. And they're very diverse. They they're have hundreds of species. Manitoulin Island, for example, it has lots of alvars. But there's alvars here in Southern Ontario as well. In any case, the reference uh, of a patio or a driveway or um, any paved area that's horizontal, even a green roof you could call, like, you know what I mean? You could use it that way. So anything that grows in crevices and cracks all of a sudden becomes of interest. So the cliff one and other things that grow in crevices and cracks is the alvar. And the alvar uh, reference has been very interesting. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take these um, aquastorm blocks and we're gonna grow a whole bunch of plants in them. And I can give you some examples, but like, for example, native strawberry, uh, Fragaria virginiana, loves to grow in gravel and rock and 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 can just handle uh you know really difficult conditions um carex abernia most of us think of carex as a water plant like as, as you know something you would grow in a wetland but there's an alvar carex carex abernia which is really a cool very grass-like oh jonas you got muted I got a call coming in. I just, oh. I just declined. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Carexy burnia uh, is a grassy plant that grows in full sun in, in rocks, like in the crevices of, of, of these alvar landscapes. And so we've got a whole bunch of those that we're going to try. And I'd like to be able to grow them in a format that I could just plop them into this brick you know, this aquastorm block. So that you're kind of asking, how do I use it at work? So I'm taking these plants, I'm coming up with this idea, and then I would like to use it, you know, if you wanted to have a little feature in a patio where you just had a few plants, but not, but you still be able to be walking on it, like there's a little puncture or a little crevice or a little, like a little feature in the patio where you actually, you know, have the plants growing in it. Or maybe you wanted to have a strip in the driveway, you know, between the tires. Um, or maybe uh, you wanted to use them on a green, a green roof setting, but uh, where you walk more, so you have more um, compaction, right? So these are all ideas that I'm kind of working on for next year. Yeah, and I think that the Alvar one, uh, they're, they're, it's a very diverse one. There's, there's many different Alvars. So you could think of like, let's say you're on a condo terrace and you're 10 stories up. What do you think about going to a more northerly alvar like the manitoulin right and so that's when you start to get into like okay uh do we actually have availability in terms of what's being grown and where and what's the provenance like what is where are the genes for those specific species coming from um and is there any difference in like a cedar that grows on the cliff on the escarpment versus a cedar that's coming off the grow block at your local wholesale nursery so we don't actually know. I don't actually know the answer to that question. But um, the other piece of it, this whole seed strategy piece that we we're talking about, is that we do know that a lot of those 
populations of plants are um, under stress and under pressure, and they're being and they're adjacent to development, and they could actually disappear potentially. So there's actually a whole bunch of people that are trying to collect these seeds and ramp up through the seed orchard idea. So it actually helps my uh, business as well. Like there's a nice crossover there because I can, I can um, try to secure a more um, stable supply of the species I'm looking for, for the projects that I do through this process. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of crossover here in terms of private uh, sector and then the public benefit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the um, sort of description for this year's event, um, well, I'll, I'll just read part of it. So it talks about, um, you know, looking towards, you know, creating functional, equitable, accessible, sustainable, and aesthetically pleasing, um, you know, spaces, outdoor spaces. Um, I think most of us know what how, how, you know, aesthetically pleasing fits into that. Could you maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what you're, what you mean when you say functional, equitable, accessible, sustainable? I mean, we could probably talk all day about some of those things, but could you maybe outline a little bit about what you mean when you include that in the description for the event? Sure. So let's talk about functional uh, first. One of the, uh, things that in the plant world that we do is we spend a lot of time, you know, arguing about what the plants should be in the garden, you know, should they be native plants or should they be uh, other plants, you know, ornamental plants, what we call ornamental plants. Um, but at the same time that that's happening, um, there's a much larger tension between that the gardens are getting smaller overall. And I think that you saw there was a debate on whether, you know, some of the, the gardens are too much uh too much too much hardscape right and so in terms of functionality i think that plants are not um be, they are viewed ornamentally more than they're viewed as functional parts of the infrastructure so when we talk about green infrastructure we talk about plants as infrastructure they in that case they're actually performing work they're actually doing a job beyond how they look and so from when we say functional, we say, okay, we are going to handle some of this stormwater by using these plants and, and lands and like having the, the topography go this way and the plants are going to suck up all. So functional really refers to other things other than ornamental that provide benefit. Uh, they could provide public benefit in, in the sense of like reducing stormwater runoff and having less um, less uh, sewer overflows into the into the lake. So we, we there's a direct connection there. It's a public benefit uh, that plants can have a play a, a critical role. And there's private benefit in the sense of like doing things like cooling. Uh, so let's say you have a tree in front of your house or even a lawn for that matter. The cooling that you get from a park, that's a functional benefit. In other words, it's nothing to do with what it looks like, but it's actually giving you benefit uh, in terms of just being able to sit out, like if the difference in temperature between the parking lot and a park is, uh, can be up to 10 degrees. And we know this, we can measure it. So in terms of functional, that's what I'm talking about. And then, and then uh, as far as, uh, so the aesthetic and the functional, this is sort of something that we bring together in the landscape. And then when, the, when we're talking about 
sustainability. I think that people get stuck on that one. And I don't use that word a lot. And the reason is because it, it people mean try to mean a lot of things with it. But in my case, I'm talking about um, having plants that grow in perpetuity. So having a landscape that lasts a long time is ideal. Uh, so, you know, indigenous talk about growing having a, thinking about how things are going to look in seven generations we don't typically think about that when we plant a, a typical garden right but it is interesting to think about what are we going to need you know 10 years from now what from our landscapes are they going to have to provide food for us are they going to just be there for just to provide the oxygen are they there for habitat like in other words all of these other things that we may value in the future that right now we we do value, but not as much as we value aesthetics. So, so this was a way of saying, let's look at other values of these uh, plants um, and to the landscape other than aesthetic and not exclusively aesthetic, right? Does that help? That absolutely helps. No, that was a, a fantastic uh, explanation, I think. Um, so, so can you, you know, maybe give us the, uh, the, the pitch on, so who is, um, you know, who's reference for, when is it? And uh, yeah. how can people, uh, how can people sign up? So uh, there is a link uh, that, that you can get on the horticultural uh, trades. It's going to be in the e-blast. There's also the calendar it should be on the calendar there uh, under events uh, for the Toronto chapter. It's February 19th. We're going to do, uh, I think it's one to three we're going to do. So session one will be the first hour. Session two will be the second hour. And we're going to, um, uh, what was the last question? Just who's it for? And, and yeah, uh, yeah, who's it for? So the other, uh, I would say that this is for uh, landscape designers, uh, landscape architects, contractors, growers, um, I would say if you have an interest in management, um, then there's there's stuff there for you. Um, I would say that anybody who's thinking about plant species uh, in an urban setting, you know, would be of interest. And I particularly want to shout out the interior scapers, who we often forget, and there is actually a sector for interior. And session one uh, is you know, in a sense, we're having a little fun with it, right? But I think that there's actually an opportunity to have a conversation, but think about how some of these interior plants uh, might provide a more function and more more value and maybe last longer and maybe maybe have some more ideas for what plants could be opportunities for indoor spaces. So if you're a grower or if you're a designer for interior uh, uh, landscapes, this might be interesting too. Or just somebody who, you know, grows plants inside. You know, you live in a condo, you got a bunch of uh, interior plants and you're sick of them because you've been staring at them off the whole pandemic. Uh, maybe you'd like to come and look at some ideas for, for alternatives for inside. For sure. Awesome. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about the event, and, but not just the event, obviously, um, you know, so much more. Um, it's uh, been really interesting and I know we could... We could probably go on uh, much longer, but I think we'll we'll leave it there for now. And I hope that uh, I hope that folks go check out the events and uh, in a couple of weeks' time. 
or, or less than that, I guess. Time is flying. Yeah, yeah. next Friday, actually. Next Friday, excuse me. Next Friday. Yeah, yeah. time is flying. But uh, I really appreciate your time, Jonas. It's been, uh, it's been nice chatting. All right, thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity and thanks for uh, having me on.